that we live in has always been in need of a saviour, of a deliverer from something. Ever since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden brought sin into our genes and passed on from generation to generation that ability and that desire to sin, mankind has been in need of a saviour. Mankind, when left to its own devices, has a way of spiralling downwards into sin and depravity when left to their own devices. We only have to look at our world today to realise that. Crime rates, murders and rapes are increasing on an almost daily basis. You see, the further and further away that a nation gets from serving and following God, the worse and worse the people's morals and actions in that nation will be. See, God's Word sets out specific morals, specific ways in which we should live. And those haven't changed down through the ages, through hundreds, through thousands of years. They have stayed the same, but the world has decided that it should change. When children are taught in schools that there is no God, and they're taught that way by being taught evolution. Evolution removes the need to believe that there is a God, to believe that there is a creation, because, a creator, because they're told that everything happened by chance. Nothing was designed, that everything is just basically here by chance, by, by circumstance. And when people are taught that, then they're, they're being taught that there's no higher moral code. There's nothing that they should reach forward to. There's nothing that they should reach to to be better than themselves. That there's no higher moral code and that morals are whatever society wants them to be. If common opinion in society says that something is all right, then it's all right, no matter how depraved or how lawless it is. That's why abortions have been legalized and are now encouraged as a form of birth control. That's how we've ended up with de facto relationships being recognized by governments with almost the same status as marriages. That's why there's been such a push to accept homosexuality and to legalize homosexual marriages. That's why there's been such a push for pornography to be acceptable in all forms of media. Because Society is wanting that because society is pushing for that. And acceptance of these things will only lead for the boundaries to be pushed even further because that is the way that mankind works. Mankind is always like to push boundaries. In exploration, there's nowhere in this earth that hasn't been fully explored now. In discovery, in in finding out new things, new ideas, new ways of doing things, in invention, in creating things, in wanting to do things that will help mankind and will, will do things quicker and faster and better. In sport, people pushing themselves to the limits, to the times, trying to beat the times that people before them come. They're trying to become better and better and do more and more and pushing the boundaries in every single area of their lives. Unfortunately, mankind, outside of following God, also uses those same traits to push moral boundaries as well. 
And that is a complete downward spiral that has no bottom. It has no bottom. The accepted morality of today would be shocking and not believed to be real by the people in the early 1900s. And that's only only 100 years ago. The accepted morality of today would be shocking and not believed by people even only 40 years ago in my lifetime. People would not have believed that the morals today could have been possible, but they have. They've come about. You see, Australia is no longer a Christian nation. We cannot, in all reality, in all honesty, call ourselves a Christian nation. Just like America is no longer a Christian nation, they cannot call themselves a Christian nation. Yes, both nations were originally founded on principles that were aligned with the Word of God, that were Christian, and many of the the laws have come down because of what is in God's Word and people wanting to do the right thing. But both nations have strayed very far from their original design, and the people have followed suit like sheep. It's nothing new, really. It's happened many, many times in, in the past through history. We see the same thing time and time again in the Bible. The world after Adam and Eve sinned gradually got worse and worse for those that rejected following God. Until God had had enough of it and sent a flood to destroy everybody and everything on the face of the earth. Only one family was righteous enough at that time to be saved. That's something that should give us pause. That's something that should make us think. One family was righteous enough at that time to be saved and they needed to follow instructions from God that they didn't fully understand. They didn't know why they were doing it. They, God talked about something called rain, but there hadn't been anything called rain on the earth before. And so, well, they, by faith, obeyed God and they built uh, a huge boat and under the full instruction of God. And they followed everything to the letter because they were righteous, because they wanted to follow God, because they wanted to do what he asked them to do. There would have been many other families on the earth that started out right, even righteous but then got dragged down by the opinions and the morals of the society that was around them. They would have gradually let more and more of their morals go until they were indistinguishable from the world around them. They may even have still considered themselves to be righteous, even at that time. Such is the insidiousness and the deception of sin. But they all died with the other sinners and didn't, Heed Noah's preaching. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And right up until the time when God closed the door in the ark, he would have been preaching. He would have been warning. He would have been telling people that they were on the wrong path, that they needed to follow God, but none responded. We see the same thing quite a while later when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt with many signs and wonders. The people all committed to following God. They said, yes, we're going to follow God. We've seen these great things. We've walked through a sea um, by the power of God with the water either side of us. We've, we've seen the great miracles and the great wonders and signs that, 
that uh, were done on the Egyptians and God led us out with a mighty hand. We're going to follow you, God. And then Moses went up into a mountain to meet with God and receive the Ten Commandments. By the time Moses came back down, the people were all worshipping idols and were into all kinds of sin and debauchery. I reckon that the nation of Israel had transgressed all of the Ten Commandments by the time that God had given them to Moses. They hadn't even received the commandments yet, but had managed to break them all beforehand. That's talent. And we see the same thing happen to the nation of Israel all through its history. Again and again and again. And this is the nation that was following God. This is the nation that had the rules, the laws of God. This is the nation that God was working with. And still they got it wrong again and again and again. Israel would be brought back to following God time and time and time again. But it wouldn't be long again before Israel were up to their old tricks. They would reject God and follow idols, and their morality plunged accordingly, like to like. God would send nations to oppress or take captive the nation of Israel, and the Jews would cry out to God again in the time of their trouble. They would recognize their need for a savior, for a deliverer from their time of crisis, from their time of need. And God was faithful. He would send them again and again, a saviour to deliver them from their woes when they turn to him again. And those saviours would not only deliver Israel physically, but they would bring them back to God again. By the time the prophet Isaiah came, Israel were in desperate need for salvation. The kingdom of Israel had had an almost perfect run of kings that rejected God and worshipped idols. And they were suffering the consequences. Nations were warring and winning against the kingdom of Israel, even taking some of Israel captive, because God had had enough. <laughs> but God was faithful enough to still give them warning and opportunity to repent of all their sins through the preaching of the prophets at the time. And Isaiah was one of those. Israel desperately needed a saviour to bring them back to following God. But they continued to reject God and were eventually carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. But God still gave them a promise of a saviour who would come and lead them back to him. The saviour didn't come at that time. There was no one who would stand up. There was no one who would say, I'm going to follow God. There was no king that would say, I'm going to come back to God again. I'm going to lead the nation back into the ways of God. But there was someone who was going to come and who was going to lead them back into the path of righteousness. If we could all turn to the book of Isaiah, and we'll start at chapter 9 and verse 1. Isaiah, there are many prophecies in Isaiah. There are many prophecies of a savior, of a Messiah that was going to come in the future. And this is one of them. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward did more grievously afflict her by way of the sea 
beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. It's talking about things that have already happened in that area. Galilee just means circuit, so it's a, a circular area. But that region had already seen a lot of conflict, a lot of war, and a lot of bad things happen in it, in its time frame. And it was a region of darkness, of spiritual darkness, because no one was following God in that time. Uh, according to a commentary, um, it talks about Galilee. It's north of Naphtali, inhabited by a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles on the bordering Phoenician race. So it's right near the border of Israel. And it's, it's not just Jews there, but there's both Jews and Gentiles. It's a mixed race. It's not pure Jewish. It's not all of the children of God. And it's very appropriate that a lot of Jesus' ministry when he first ministered, was on this border, near the Gentiles and, and preaching to Gentiles and to Jews. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. See, this region was not known for its spirituality. This region was not known for people who would follow God. This region had seen a lot of darkness, a lot of spiritual darkness, but there was going to be a light that would come and shine in that dark land. Isaiah 9.3, Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden. There was going to be a deliverance. There was going to be something, somebody that would free them from their sin, from what was holding them bound and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. We know what happened in the day of Midian when uh, God caused Gibeon, Gideon, not Gibeon, uh, Gideon to, uh, and, and by the hand of the Lord, to deliver by only 200 people. So God did it in his own power, and the whole hosts were scattered. And they're saying this is going to be a victory in the same magnitude as that. But it was going to be different to what they thought it was going to be. Isaiah 9.5 says, For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Now that's a little bit difficult to understand that verse um, because of, of the way uh, that Old English um, is. The different words can mean different things. Um, the American Standard Version has a fairly good, uh, fairly good alternative uh, to that um, and based on all of the commentaries that I've read. For all the armor of the armed man in the tumult and the garments rolled in blood shall be for burning and fuel of fire. It's saying there's not going to be any need for armor anymore. There's not going to be any more wars. All of the garments that, that had blood on them, they're, they're just going to be burned up because there's no need to war again because this... Saviour would bring in peace into people's lives. Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is talking about a child that was going to be born who would be all of these things to to the people, to us in the future. 
when we look through the list of things that, that his name shall be called, they're all uh, attributes of God. They're all, um, they're all things that, that God is. And so it's things like Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Those are things that he is. When we look at the word wonderful, it's a descriptive word. It seems like it's, it's an unusual fit for the rest of the list and what it's actually talking about. When you look back into the, uh, the original Hebrew, the word is, is P-E-L-E. Um, Pele is, is done no relation to the soccer player. Um, but it's, it's a Hebrew word that means a miracle, a marvelous thing, a wonder. And, and literally it means wonder or marvel. And it has two meanings uh, that it could be. A wonder, something that's extraordinary, something uh, hard to understand thing or a wonder of God's acts of judgment and of redemption. And when we look at Jesus, Jesus was a wonder. Jesus was someone who was extraordinary. Jesus was someone who, uh, not just wonderful in, in the sense that we think of it today, but he was a wonder. He was a miracle himself. He was born of a virgin. That has never happened in any other case in the Bible. He went around doing incredible, extraordinary things. He brought people back to God in ways in which that people could not have believed. He himself did many mighty and wonderful acts. He was a wonder. He was someone who caused people to wonder, to marvel at what, at, at what had happened when God manifest himself in the flesh. And I think that there could even be a case for the, the literal miracle being in, uh, put in there as well, because Jesus was a miracle. He did many miracles. He was the embodiment of, of miracles. So when we, we, then Israel and the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, just kept going on their way. They had these promises from God. They thought that, they, that he was going to come, this savior, this deliverer, yeah, they had the promises, but they didn't realize that the Savior was not going to come at that time, but he was going to come many, many years later. God eventually caused all of the of, uh, kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, to be taken into captivity. And, and only a, a small remnant left behind. And it was in that time of captivity that God stopped speaking. To, well, after they came back from the captivity, but God stopped speaking to his people for about 400 years. So there was a time where God gave all of these promises and then God said, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to talk anymore. I've given these promises and people are just going to have to start seeking me again. God had put his hand out time and time again to them but they had rejected him. But God never leaves someone without hope. God never leaves someone without something to look forward to in the future. And God said that there will be this child, there will be this man that would come, that would do these mighty, wonderful things, be a wonder, be a marvel, be the mighty God, be the everlasting Father, be a counselor, bring people back to God, be the Prince of Peace, bring peace where there had been no peace. He would be all of these things to us. And so, 
God, in the fullness of time, came and robed himself in flesh and was born as a baby and moved and walked and did many mighty and wonderful things on this earth. And then there was a plan. There was always a plan that this man, this, this Jesus, would be a saviour, would die for our sins. There was no one else who could die for our sins because there was no one else that was sinless. Because of our genes, because of what has been put into us all the time from Adam, all the way down through the ages, mankind have always sinned. Mankind has always sinned before they've even realized they've been doing it. So there's no hope for someone sinless to pay the sacrifice so that everyone could be saved. That's what it took. That is what God knew what sacrifice needed to be made. But he made a plan. He made a way in the future. He said, there's going to be this child that is going to be born that has that ability, that will save you from your sins and from yourselves. And so Jesus went through his life and he had a purpose and he, he did many miracles. He, he, he talked to people. He tried to bring them back into an acknowledgement of God, into, into what they needed to do, into realizing that they were spiritually dark and a light. He was a light. He shined into the darkness in Galilee, into everywhere where he went. He brought the light. He brought his power and he brought a knowledge of God again. And so he talked. There were many who followed him. There were many who wanted to know what he had to say. People hadn't heard anything like this before. And he spoke to them according to the word of God. People's hearts would have been stirred. People's hearts would have, have been moved by the things that he said. And then he gets betrayed by one of his own disciples. He gets sent to judgment for something that he didn't even do. And he was crucified on a cross for our sins. The Bible says that he was beaten, he was bruised, he was barely recognizable as a man. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they didn't just lightly put it on, but they would have shoved it all the way down onto his head and the thorns would have pierced his skin. They gave him... Uh, they, they whipped his back until it was all broken and bleeding and bruised. They, they put a cross on his back where it would have been rough and would have rubbed against those sore wounds, those wounds that had just been opened. They beat him about the face. They pulled his hair out of his beard. They did everything. They humbled him greatly and they took him and they crucified him. They nailed him on a cross until he died. This was a man who deserved nothing of this. This was the only man who actually didn't deserve anything, didn't deserve to, be, to die, didn't deserve to be whipped, didn't deserve to be beaten, didn't deserve anything. But because God had a plan, he went to the cross for you and for me. Our world today is in desperate need of a Savior but they don't even realize it. They just go about their daily lives not even knowing what they're missing. 
God has put something in each and every one of us that is sensitive to spiritual things. But that same thing that God has put in us can be easily suppressed because God has given to each and every person a free will to choose whether they will follow God or not. And when they come into the presence of God, they can choose to, to believe in it. They can choose to follow it. They can choose to seek more of it or they can reject it because God has given us a free will. That's why there is so much sin because God wants people to choose Him of their own free will. People just follow the crowd in general of popular and social opinion. That's what our world today consists of. Everybody else is doing it, so it's all right for me to do it as well. Nobody else believes that God is real, so why should I even entertain that thought? The truth is that just like God promised in His Word, God promised that there would be a son, and hundreds of years later, that son came. God promised that that there would be judgments upon Israel, and again and again they would be taken into captivity, and that came to pass. God promised that there would be a people that would follow Him in this time, and that has come to pass. God has also promised that He is coming back, and that He is going to take His people to be with Him when He comes back. Jesus is coming back soon. He's told us time and time again, and there have been tongues interpretations in the church that have told us that He's coming back again and soon. Our world is just like the time of Noah, when nobody was following God, and the nations were getting worse and worse and worse. In Matthew 24, and starting at verse 35, it says, Jesus is talking, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Anything that God has put in His Bible is true and will come to pass. It doesn't matter how long it takes. That prophecy for the sun to come was hundreds and hundreds of years to come in the future. But God still brought it to pass. It doesn't matter how long it takes we can put our faith and our trust in what God has put in His Bible. My words shall not pass away, He said. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. We're seeing that so much today. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Jesus reaches out to all who would listen to his voice. We can't make ourselves ready to come to God. We can't make ourselves good enough to come to God, but God already knew that. In Romans 5 and verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. People generally aren't willing to 
to die for righteous people, but for someone that they consider good, some might even be willing to die for those. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. It's through his power, it's through his love that he will save us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, the story doesn't end at the tomb. The story doesn't end with Jesus being crucified for us. But three days later, he rose again. And he rose out of the grave. No one else can claim that they've done that of their own power. But it just shows the power and the awesomeness of God. He can do anything. And just like he raised from the dead, he raised himself from the dead, he is looking to raise us up from our sins, from our life, from our life of death, and bring us into a new life and a new walk with him. Jesus offers the free gift of salvation from sin and this world for all who will listen. Now is not the time to lose our salvation by accepting the popular social opinion of this world. People in Noah's time found that out the hard way. They, the ones, the families that were righteous down through the years, generation by generation, lost their salvation, lost their righteousness, went and decided that the things of the world were better than the things of God, and they paid the price. People in the time of Noah did the same thing. They were all destroyed. Don't be fooled by this world and its systems and its bright lights. They call out to everybody that will listen. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. There's a world that wants to take us in its grip. There's a world that wants to put bondage on us, that wants us to bring us into sin and into captivity, but it's not for us. God has called us to something higher. Now is the day for salvation. In Acts 2.37, Peter had preached a message to people on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover. And he preached them a message saying that they had crucified Jesus themselves. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They realized that they had sinned, that they had killed the Savior of the world and the Messiah that had been promised to them. And so they had no idea what they needed to do. What on earth can we do to erase the sin that we've done? They realized just what a bad place they were in. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, turn around, turn away from your wicked life, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God wanted this salvation to be to everybody. God wanted this salvation to be to anyone 
and everyone who will listen to his voice. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward or this wicked generation. And that's the call of God to us today. Save yourself. Save yourself from this wickedness, from this society that we're in, from this, this ungodly people, from this ungodly nation, from this ungodly way of living that we find the world in today. It is only by following God's plan of salvation that we can be saved from this world and its morals and its way of thinking. In 2 Peter 1 and 10 it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus has everlasting life waiting for those that will listen, that will obey, that will come to Him. And for those of us that are saved, we need to make our calling and our election sure. We need to make sure that we're not listening to this world. We're not going back like the people in the days of Noah. We can't afford to go into this world. We can't afford to draw back. We can't afford to go back into this world because the world will just drag us down and we'll be exactly like those families in the time of Noah. We'll miss out, we'll go, and we'll be destroyed with the rest of the world. If I could get someone to the piano, please. If Jesus has already saved us, we need to make sure we stay saved. That's not an option. We need to make sure we stay saved. It's the most important thing in the world. Don't get dragged down with the rest of this world by buying into their social opinion or their morals. But set your heart and your mind on following Jesus. If you've never been saved, now is the time to do it. It's no coincidence that you're here today. It's no coincidence that you're in this building because Jesus is drawing you to himself. You felt his presence today. The, the presence of the Lord has been beautiful in this place. It's been awesome. It's been strong. And that part of you that reaches out to God, that part of you that is sensitive to God, you have felt His presence today. It might have felt weird or uncomfortable, but that's okay. See, that part of you that God put inside both you and me, that part of you that responds to God, has been squashed your whole life. But now is the time to realize. So it's okay if it feels uncomfortable because it's something that you haven't come up against before. Now is the time to realize and acknowledge that God is real, that He exists and He wants to save you from your sins and yourself. And actually, He wants to have a spiritual relationship with you as well. Yes, God is interested in you. God is interested in you. Don't try to deny what you're feeling this morning. If you respond, Jesus has a whole lot for me, more for you than you could ever imagine. A peaceful night's sleep without worries and without fears. A purpose and a vision for the future. Freedom from all the bad habits that you couldn't ever break before. And that's just scratching the surface. Now is the day of your salvation. Now is the time to come and give your life to Jesus. Don't miss out on being a part of something incredible. Jesus has something for you. Jesus has something more for you in this life than you could ever experience 
in anything out there.